Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Alexander Hine, who is the founder of Modern Health Monk. He's a YouTuber. He's also the author of Master the Day, Eat, Move, and Live Better with the Power of Daily Habits. He has a YouTube channel with 260,000 plus subscribers. He gets 500,000 views a month. Has tons of readers on his website as well. And in this episode, we go through how he actually launched that business, how he turned it into the success it is today, how he approaches his day each and every day, and so much more. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show, leave a rating and review over an Apple podcast. I would love if you would do that. Also, it's time for the weekly grind, my weekly newsletter with tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. And without further ado, here is Alex. Alex, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me here, man. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you. And one thing I want to start with is if someone asks you, what do you do? How do you respond to that question normally? Usually I say that I'm a stripper of some kind (laughs) and that I basically objectify myself on YouTube by taking off my clothes. I mean, honestly, I have said that quite a few times because (laughs) when when you intro yourself, you're always stuck between what's the most accurate and what's the coolest especially i mean you get that living in la especially for sure when you have like a business that has a lot of different parts to it like with the books and an online brand and stuff um i just say i have a personal development business just just try to not sound douchey to be honest and just try to be honest and if they ask then i intro a little bit more yeah and with that then how did this all get started because you're doing a lot of different things how did it get started yeah, I mean, to go back in time, I had moved to China. I bought a one-way ticket. I was living in China, thought I'd become a monk, kung fu master, thought I would come back to the U.S. after 10 years of basically becoming like a sage. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I come back, and it's a terrible time in the recession, and I'm basically just looking for a job. And for basically, let's say, five years, uh, I was just working all these miscellaneous jobs that, honestly, I hated. And for someone like me... Uh, money's not a huge driver. It's really just I want to have work where I'm actually growing and I can see that it's meaningful and there's a point to it. Like I'm I'm heavily driven by purpose and meaning. And uh, I really just do not do well if I have a job, for example, that's highly paid, but is purposeless and meaningless. So I have all these jobs. And honestly, they're okay jobs. They're not objectively bad jobs. You know, I'm not like cleaning the bathroom at McDonald's. But to <laughs> me, I didn't feel like there's a lot of purpose or meaning to my life. So I had a, like an uh, online marketing day job. Uh, they were super flexible. It was close to where I lived. I had my free own remote office. Um, and honestly, it was just like, is this what I'm going to do for 40 years of my life? Like, this is the whole point. I'm, like, I'm just, I'm getting a paycheck to exist on a piece of land, to live in this apartment that I don't even really like that much. And I'm like, I'm going to do this Groundhog Day thing for the rest of my life. Obviously not even though I think most people just end up doing that. So it just started with me exploring um, what it would take to kind of have my own freedom. And I'm not someone that's naturally inclined towards entrepreneurship or owning a business. So, you know, for me, there are a lot of beliefs that came up about being a business owner or, you know, being like a businessman. Because my only exposure to that when I was a kid was, I mean, I was born in New York City and then raised in Connecticut. And all our neighbors are like the hedge fund dudes that go to New York City. So like, (laughs) that's my concept of what a businessman is. Like you wear the suit, you manage money, but you really don't have any purpose in the world. And you make a shitload of money. And then you take this hour and a half train ride home. And that's like your life. So I didn't know there was a cool, cool business person called an entrepreneur. And you could kind of build it to be any way you want. Um, And so it started with a few smaller entrepreneurial projects that didn't work out. And then it morphed into me realizing I really want a business that's that has an audience. And the reason for the audience is not for my ego, but it's because I want to see that what I'm doing matters, even if it never works out financially. And so that became my exploration into, you know, why don't I experiment with blogging? And then that has since evolved from there. Yeah. And then starting as Starting with blogging and then transitioning to YouTube, how did you make that transition to decide that YouTube was going to be the spot where you made your home? So for me, 
you know, the very first thing I started writing online was actually about people who felt lost in their 20s. So I actually had a website called milkthepigeon.com, which is an old English saying, which means to do the impossible. And I would have these articles going viral, getting like thousands of Facebook shares. And they were just like real emotional articles, like kind of written from the heart, like frustrated, like, why do I see no one else that's ambitious doing anything with their life? So that made me realize that blogging or some like something I have in terms of how I communicate, people are liking, but I didn't know how to make any living off of that. So eventually it transitioned into the current brand, which is Modern Health Monk, where we started or I started just writing the articles. And then after about, say, two and a half, three years, I went full time into the, the business. And it was just frankly like, I'm like, dude, I cannot write another friggin' weight loss article. Like, I'm dying here. Like, this is insane. And this yeah. is not like, I'm definitely not passionate about this yeah. anymore, this topic. So what am I going to do? And I've noticed anytime I have those in-between periods in business where I'm like, I need something new, I always end up finding something new. So that time it was, let me just try shooting a YouTube video to explain one of these concepts because I just... I was having crazy writer's block. I wasn't excited to sit down and write that day. And I was just hitting the wall in my business. So I shot one YouTube video. And I honestly, I found the idea of shooting video fun only because it was a skill I hadn't acquired yet. It was new. Um, and I hadn't, I, I didn't know anything about YouTube. Like I, frankly, I still don't understand a lot about YouTube. I don't really follow any YouTubers. I never have. Um, so it's really different from someone that followed like YouTubers and bloggers and watched them grow and explode or get deals, whatever. For me, it was purely like, let me just try another way to deliver my content. And then I found out I actually really liked shooting video. It was really fun. It was different from writing. Um, I found that I could just tell stories on camera and it was way easier than sitting down to write for two hours. Yeah. And so what happened was I found that I just did that for like maybe six months, like a weekly video. And I was like, let me just create some very unique, different content people had never heard of around like uh, diet and nutrition and fitness. So I did that. And then I decided to keep going for a year because that was kind of the most exciting thing in my business at the time. And I was starting to feel a bit jaded right as I had quit my job. Yeah. So I was at this kind of precipice where I'd made enough money to live but now I was suddenly the lowest motivation I'd been. And so that, I think that year, or let's see, that month was like September, October. That was after maybe a year of uploading. And then I was like, I think I was up to like 10,000 subscribers. And then I met, funniest thing, my a girlfriend at the time, her friend's younger brother was very young. He was like nine years old. And he's like, dude, you have 10,000 subscribers? <laughs> and I'm like, is that a lot? And he's like, you're like famous. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, okay, because I just didn't know YouTube at all. So he's like, you got to put ads on it, man. So I, I activated the AdSense. And in the weirdest twist of fate, that same month, I had a video go viral, my first ever video go viral. And of course, it's a video I'm so embarrassed by, but I went from making <laughs> you know, $0 per month in AdSense to 1500 a month. My very first month I turned on the ads in YouTube. Wow. So that was like, holy crap. Like, wh like what? I can actually make any money in for my business, my company in YouTube. And this is more fun than writing. You know, I'm sold. Yeah. And then I have to go back though. You mentioned the two and a half to three years before you went full time. So what you were just writing articles on weight loss and fitness. Were you monetizing then or what, what, what did those first couple of years look like before full time? Yeah, so, so the first couple of years was really about me figuring out um, essentially my revenue model. Like what is my business model? And even if I make a dollar once, how do I make a dollar, you know, once a day? For me, it was really figuring out that for most people who are content creators, if they want to follow that kind of uh, teach teaching method of creating a brand online for most of us what's most profitable is to actually create our own products so for me like one thing i've taught other people that i've coached in business is for like a, a quote unquote expert personal brand spend the first year on audience growth and so all the material you're consuming is only linked to audience growth so for the first year it was purely i have zero visitors to my website 
How do I increase that? And so just through the combination of writing epic content and writing for other websites, guest posting, I got my site up to about 100,000 visitors a month in about nine months. Wow. So first year, that's all I did. It was how do I get traffic? The second year was really how do I begin building a more kind of extensive email list? So I have all these people coming now, but I put up, you know, some stupid ad for a Kindle ebook and nobody bought it. Or I put up a product and nobody bought it. And that's when I realized that they really need to come through the medium of email if they're going to, if you're going to build a rapport with them and actually connect. And then also they're much, much more likely to buy through email and you can actually have statistics and numbers through email so you can track how many people go through and how many buy. So for the second year, it was, I launched, I think my, maybe at the end of the first year, I launched my first course around $50. And from there it was, okay, I've, I've sold this once. What can I do? Let's just say, get one sale a week. Like if I can make 50 bucks a week, that was more money than I never made as an entrepreneur before. So that's (laughs) clearly a win, (laughs) you know? So you do it once, that's sweet, but I need to do this weekly. And like, it's like that feeling of, just that first kind of $50 passive sale is such a good feeling when you're sitting at a day job and you're like, Jesus, I didn't really make that much more than this working 10 hours today. And I just made a $50 sale, you know, and it's, it's only $50, but that's such a amazing feeling when you've produced it out of thin air. Yeah. So the second year I focused on conversion and really my business model. Just starting with that idea, how do I get one sale? So I had to study the process of validating products, how to create products, how to learn how to launch and sell and promote products. And then fulfilling that answer to that question, how do I go about getting regular sales? For me, the answer was email marketing. So I studied everything on how to write effective emails, writing autoresponders, writing educational sequences that both teach and sell. Um, And then from there, it was... How do I do specific promotions or specific launches? And then the third year was really about how can I increase all of these things? How can I scale them up a bit? So that was kind of the progression I took. Um, And honestly, man, like my business is doing really well now, but for a lot of people, they think they're going to do like six figures their first year in business. And it's like, unless you're charging a thousand a month or 5,000 a month for your clients, you're probably not as an audience-based business. You know, if you really want to build an audience-based business, a lot of the growth is happening from years like five to 10. So people don't like hearing that, but you know, my, my whole first year revenue was like $2,000, yeah. you know, but it's gone. It's almost like 10 X for the next few years. It essentially, you know, between three and 10 X. And so it's like you, just because it's not doing great the first year, it doesn't mean you're not on track. You might be exactly on track to have a multi-million dollar business in 10 years or whatever the time period is. So I think I was perpetually discouraged also because of I wasn't sure if I was on track. Yeah, and that's something where you kind of have to go into it knowing that right away. And that's where people do get discouraged because they don't understand that it does take multiple years to yeah. build an audience over time. You look at anyone who's been successful who actually built an audience, it typically does take many years. And during those during that first year, you mentioned doing guest posting as well. How did you approach guest posting versus writing on your own website? Like maybe the split between the two and how many like guest posts were you writing a week? I'm curious about that. Yeah. So for me, I mean, with guest posting, it's really, I found a list of websites that were related to wellness, like uh, Mind Body Green. At that point, Huffington Post, you could still write for um, a whole bunch of other middle sized wellness sites and personal growth websites. And basically, I mean, a lot of them do because the owner is a lot like me, the owner doesn't want to write content anymore. So a lot of them do solicit guest posts. And so it's as simple as really writing them a pitch for their website. And uh, and that's enough for them to actually want to take the article. But the big difference is uh, uh, based on the website, you need to write in their writing style. So I've noticed that, uh, you know, for example, you have personal development sites, which are very fluffy. They don't like anything that could be harsh or judgmental. They obviously don't like vulgarity and swearing. So for those sites, they want more of like a little bit of fluffy, like you can do anything type article. Yeah. Uh, and other sites, they really want drilled down practical. These are five things to do right now. So it's about emulating 
the easiest way is read the articles on the site to know what they've accepted because then you know what they what style they prefer and what what voice tone um and then on my own site primarily i focus on what i call epic content so i wrote down all the various topics that i wanted to write on and i wrote articles like get this i have articles that are over ten thousand words on some yeah. on yeah. on some things i mean that's like a book is like uh maybe a hundred thousand so yeah like my own books i think are like 70 to a hundred thousand words so you imagine that's a ten thousand word article which is the size of a kindle book you know maybe <laughs> bigger than a kindle book and it took me weeks and but those things those articles like i wrote a definitive guide to fixing lower back pain and it has like 20 pictures 20 videos i shot for it uh it's pulled from four medical sources and the biggest thing is that it actually works because i wrote it from experience and so that article like five years later to this day even though my brand is not about lower back pain and even though i'm an idiot for now attracting all this traffic I don't need, <laughs> that article pulls in thousands of visitors per day and i wrote it as the first article pretty much the first article five years ago that's insane so blogging is really different in terms of the content model than youtube because even though in youtube uh really amazing exceptional content does stand the test of time it, it fades faster. And the idea of like going viral on YouTube is literally, I've never met anyone who knows why or how it happens. So sometimes it's a weird video you didn't want to go viral <laughs> and it's rarely the best video you wished. But on blogging, if you're creating the most epic article, not only if you're emailing people and you're saying, hey, you might like this, just the general Google SEO juice um, with time will give it legs basically forever so i find that blogging when you do it is a lot more hands-off in terms of like you don't you can not write for a year and your traffic can go up so that's pretty much the approach i took to that yeah and it's interesting because with where search is going less and less search is actually field results in terms of the, your, your your potential for getting people to come to your site, because Google just puts the first few options that are just going directly to their things. Um, right. so we'll see where search goes exactly with that. I mean, obviously SEO is still strong, but we'll see where that goes in the future as blogging has evolved. And they say, you know, even with with blogging itself and guest blogging, it's still useful clearly. But then even guest podcasting and other stuff like that could be an even better uh, option sometimes we'll see how things go but it's always kind of evolving and and you mentioned so like you're like three years in roughly decided to quit your job at what point how did you get to that point of quitting your job and knowing like okay now's the time to go full-time as an entrepreneur i mean for me honestly i would have quit years earlier if i could you know like i i basically the way i did it was i had a full-time job that was that allowed me to be flexible and so they said you know if you're down to work half time we can do that. And that was like a dream come true. So I started as soon as I could by working half time for them and getting a very, very low, I don't even know, it definitely wasn't a full-time salary. So it was basically like half my income came from that, half came from my business. And it was just me thinking like, damn, I'm spending nine hours a day at this job. You don't even need to spend nine hours a day as an entrepreneur to make six figures. Like currently I spend less than three hours a day for basically making five times what I made at my job. <laughs> so I knew that that was possible, but really like emotionally, I just wanted to enjoy my work day. That's it. I wanted to feel like I liked the projects I worked on. I wanted to feel like it was meaningful and I wanted to feel like, and I felt like, honestly, I knew in a fraction of the hours I could make the same living, which wasn't a lot. Like I was really getting paid almost nothing at this job. So I knew I could probably replace that very low salary I was getting paid. And so basically the minute that I was, you know, the minute that I was making what for me was a safe number to quit, like I immediately quit. And for, it was not, it was not like I was making 60 K. It was very, very low. You know, it was like, like 2,500 a month is what I was paying myself. That was like my salary. And that was more than enough for me to feel safe and just let me just quit and go all in. And uh, let me see what I can do with this. Yeah, and then that, that initial few months after quitting, going full-time into your own business then, what did that look like in terms of how you spent your time and your approaches to, to what your business at that point? So the initial few months after, 
really made me realize like the difference between the employee and the entrepreneur mindset where the employees like, I got to show up for nine days. I clock in, clock out where as an entrepreneur, it's like, this just has to get done. Like it doesn't, I could be done in one hour and then I can just take the day off if I want. Or sometimes also equally realistically, you're here for 15 hours and you're like, wow, this, (laughs) I thought this was going to be an easy project. And now suddenly that five minute tech problem took me five hours and I haven't even started my workday, you know, and I don't have enough money to hire anyone. So what I realized was that I had to start with a productivity system that was results based. And so every day, and I still do this five years later, I took a sheet of paper and I broke it into thirds. Like I drew a line, cut it into thirds. Yeah. And the first block, that productivity module, that first challenge is everything related to sales, my business. Like, how am I eating? Like, what's the money I'm going to produce that (laughs) allows me to eat? I got that done first because I hated that. I always hated it, still hate it. So that's like the real nitty gritty entrepreneurship. What am I doing to make a living? Like, because my business was, there was, I'd had a few coaching clients at the time to help me feel safe during the quitting my job. But that was just like, okay, if my business is all products, what do I need to modify about my business model to make sure on a weekly basis I have income? So that was very helpful prompt. The second one was marketing, which for me, my marketing is content. So the second hour of every day is content. If I've already produced my content for the week, then it's studying content. How can I improve it? How can I make it different? Who is killing it in the content game? And then the third part is what I call growth. And so the growth aspect was what basically what's the plan? What am I doing new this year, this quarter, this week? What am I doing new? And so that growth time, I don't know if, um, have you heard of that? I think it's called the 20% rule. Google does it where they yep. allow their employees a certain amount of time where they can work on whatever they want related to the company. Yeah. Yeah. So the rumor is that that's where Post-it notes come from. And so I was like, you know what? First of all, I own the company, so I, I should. Like, <laughs> I, I believe that business can be fun. I don't want to be, I don't want to own a business, be super wealthy and impactful, but not like it. Like, yeah. Other people disagree. There are business owners, a lot of them, that believe that business is not fun. That's fine. That's just not who I want to be or who I admire. So I was like, let me use this growth this growth quadrant. Let me use this for a fun, exciting project that can grow my business. And literally, man, almost all my my best initiatives in my company have come from that. That's where my YouTube channel came from. At, at this point, I don't even write on my website. It's all YouTube. And that started off as a growth fun thing. Like, okay. Let me try something different, a new content source. Maybe it's easier for me to teach. That blew up in one of the best things for my business, including for revenue. Out of that growth time came all of my books. So my books were a very surprising revenue generator. And at this stage, I've generated about six figures in book royalties from self-published books, which is absurd. You know, I know most people with traditionally published books would kill for that. So like though all those things... What I realized is if I follow in the growth quadrant, rather than making it unsexy for me, like a KPI driven approach, rather than being like, okay, uh, autoresponder, how can we increase these by 50%? Like that doesn't excite me. Maybe when I have (laughs) full-time employees, that's just (laughs) what they want to do. But just following those exciting things that would allow me and my business to grow have been the biggest revenue generators too. So that really surprised me. But that three quadrant division, uh, sales, marketing, growth was really, really, that's what I still do. Yeah, and is that, that's a daily practice for you? Every or single you, day. Yep. Every single day. I okay. do it um, the night before when I'm preparing for the next day. I just write down what my three things are gonna be, in, like those three boxes, uh, and then I break them up and I put down what the project is. Yeah, and then for you too, with that related to that, in terms of how you work, then how you decide when to stop working for the day, or how does that work for you? For me, I mean, ultimately, when it's done, and I know that's always uh, like the short, kind of unsexy answer, but sometimes, you know, there's a lot of things that you don't know if you haven't done them before. You don't know how long they take. Um, so for me, it's a combination of like having very, very strict boundaries with my time 
Because especially as an entrepreneur, not only is the work never ever done, like till you die, but when you start on your own, the fear of not making it often can drive you to be imbalanced in the way you live. And I think that's really big thing to watch out for uh, because we feel like if I'm only making like, let's say I make $2,000 a month, that's like on the dime what I need to live. Like I lose one coaching client and then I'm not gonna eat for the month. Right. That's easy to become a very fearful person who's just gonna work all the time and run themselves ragged. But the irony is that if you're not successful as an entrepreneur working three hours a day, you're probably not gonna be working nine hours a day. So that's kind of the caveat. If a person's not deliberate with three hours, then working more is probably just extending three hours into nine or is doing things you shouldn't be doing in the first place. So for me, the way that I figured out when is work done is I force myself to have a very clear finish time. And what I did for me was uh, work was always done by four, even if I want to put in a few more hours later at night when I went back home. So work was always done at four and I always go to the gym at four, like non-negotiable, unless there's like the whole company's burning down and everything <laughs> is freaking out, like non-negotiable, I'm done at four. And then making sure I'm balanced in other parts of my life, like I'm hanging out with people daily or family. I'm, of course, going to the gym and I'm eating right. Like forcing yourself to be balanced is the best way to have a successful business because like you are the engine, like you're not a machine. You're literally, you're the human that is creating this baby. And if you're not well, like on all the levels, mind, body, spirit, whatever you want to call it, if you're not well, you're not going to be a high performer by definition. So for me, the big thing is, these are the three things, these three blocks, they generally take me about an hour each. And then, you know, when I had more free time, I would add more, but I would just say, these are the things you have to get done. And if it's an ongoing project, like let's say your mission for the week is like podcast interviews or content, then I would limit yourself to how much you produce because you know, if I do this five days in a row, I'll reach it. So for example, if I knew writing an article of a certain length and quality, took me about three hours, I wouldn't dedicate it all in one day to one day to it. I would do one hour a day and I would know by like Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'd have the next week's article ready. So that way you're allowing yourself to have that work-life balance. You're allowing yourself to take the time off uh, to recover and to get new ideas and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I also like what you mentioned with basically the idea of the tasks will swell into the time you give it. So if you give it nine Definitely. hours, it'll take that much time. And it is so helpful to have it blocked off. Like this is how much time I'm going to allocate to this. And yeah, you can adjust if you really have to, but it does make it a more effective, more efficient way of getting things done. And then so you do have like those 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 big rocks, as you want to call them, like going to the gym, like hanging out with people and having those other things, which are important that just make life better because <laughs> it's not all yeah. about the business. <laughs> and that's like, I've always thought of, you know, I want a business that also I can live in <laughs> and be and have right. fun and enjoy things. Otherwise, what's the point, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny because a lot of entrepreneurs are really, really, really unproductive. You know, even you know, it's complicated because when you see a successful entrepreneur, you, it's easy to deify them and think everything they're doing is right. But often I'm absolutely in agreement with the, the saying that people succeed in spite of their flaws. So you see that entrepreneur that works 14 hours a day. Well, chances are he or she could work nine and have the exact same or even greater success. But we emulate them because we're green and we don't have the experience to know they're just doing that the fear, the anxiety, the, the story they tell themselves about how hard they work. work. I'm outworking the competition. These kind of things are like, these stories are very easy to get caught up in. And you see entrepreneurs also with like their, neutro their nootropics and like the five cups of coffee, all these ridiculous things, you know, the coffee in the morning, the Xanax at night. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and it's people just don't understand that you can be successful without all that stuff. And for most people, whatever the goal is, even if you want to be a multimillionaire, you can easily do that in 40 hours a week or less. So you could do that in a nine to four. And for most people, you know, having a multimillion dollar business is probably all the freedom and flexibility they want, assuming they enjoy it. But yeah, definitely, you know, being, being honest with yourself about time. And if you're not sure, 
if you're wasting your time, the easiest way is reduce your work hours by half for a whole week. And then make sure you have your time filled with other things so that you're not going back to work. And you'll literally will prove to yourself you got the same shit done. And then yeah. it's like, well, what have I been doing for nine hours a day? <laughs> right. Like, how have I been filling those that time before? Like, you, you yeah. have to question it way more. And that goes back to yeah. like, a thing I've always seen from like, from like Tim Ferriss and him talking about 80-20 rule applied to all different parts of life. Like, what are those activities that actually matter in your business and your life anyways? And making those things the priority and cutting out also things that maybe aren't as important because you don't need them or they don't have to be done now. And I think it's really tough though to to have that patience to be like, yes, you can put less hours in and you can actually go farther and potentially even faster, but it is a whole different mindset shift that can be challenging for sure. And I find myself right. struggling, struggling with that too, where you're like, oh, I should work these more hours, but also you know, understanding where you're at in life right now and the opportunities that are here that you know, the, those friends are here now. Like you also want to spend time with them. You also, right. um, you know, want to do that and make sure you take care of yourself and stay healthy and fit along the way. Otherwise, yeah, it's really not worth it. And and one of the things that I really want to go back to, you mentioned a while ago in this interview, is um, getting to even like the ten thousand views, uh, ten thousand subscribers on YouTube. What do you think helped with that? Because that's definitely not a level everyone gets to. What attributed the success with that to you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think. You know, I can reflect back and probably analyze some things. And uh, it's one of those things where sometimes when you're following the thing that you naturally have a resonance with, you notice that there's something, there's some kind of synergy. So there are a couple things that I, I can give you in terms of like metrics that I'm pretty confident made a difference. The first one is I was always trying to produce new content. So like if I was trying to talk about how to portion your meals for fitness, or weight loss, I, I literally sat down alone in silence and I was like, what's a new way I can present this? That's it. Like presenting new material I think is so underrated in YouTube where it's all one big circle jerk of everybody copying each other. Um, and also with blogging too. Like that's why some of the stories that go the most viral are people's personal stories because that's a personal story no one else can replicate. Right. So one of them was I made sure I was always presenting new content and not the same old, same old. The second thing, was that I was always making sure I had really, really high energy on camera. So one thing I learned when you shoot on camera, which is the reason why we call people on TV, uh, TV personalities, is that it's not that I'm not the same person, but it's, if you're, if I'm just like talking like this, like, what's up guys, it's Alex, <laughs> I'm gonna show you how to make a burrito. Like, if you talk like that on camera, it, for some reason, it seems 10 times duller. Yeah, And so I realized I had to be like jacked up before I started shooting or else it, it just came out so boring. And I was very surprised by that. So the second thing is I make sure that I'm high energy. And the third thing is I always make sure I'm talking about things I'm passionate about enough to the point where people feel it on camera. And that is constantly feedback I get. They're like, dude, I love watching your channel because I can feel the passion. So that emotion gets communicated through your medium, no matter the content medium. Passion can get communicated through an article, through a podcast, obviously, or through video. But it's very, very underrated excitement. Like it's really one of the most underrated things in business, especially in content where your emotional state is contagious with the listener or the viewer or the reader. And I think the fact that I was really excited to shoot those videos that by itself is really, really contagious to people. And if you imagine, what is the state that humans live in the least? It's probably the state of passion and excitement for life. Yeah. So I think that is like a non-material kind of communication they're feeling. Like they're just feeling up, a little bit more up. You know, maybe 1% better after they watch a video. And I think that that passion is one of the contagious things, you know, if I had to speculate. Yeah. But besides that, you know, my videos are always getting better. Every few months, we're trying a new thing. And now I, you know, now I have editors working for me, so it's easier. But I just, I really try to try to demonstrate that 1% better principle in my life. And you can see, if you can go back, you can go see my original videos. I mean, they're terrible, man, but they still work. <laughs> and like, yeah. I was just like, yeah. you know, every, let's say, let, let me be really generous. Every 100 days, just try a new tactic. All right, every 100 days, I'm going to try a new edit transition. Every hundred days, I'm going to try to teach differently. Every hundred days, I'm going to try to shoot a little bit of B-roll. And now 
as you do that, they get better and better and you have a standardized process for producing something great. Yeah. And then with your business too, you mentioned bringing on editors. At what point did you bring on people or have a team built around you? For me, it was really as soon as I could not stress about bringing on extra people as contractors. Um, and I find that general entrepreneurial advice that people say is people never hire early enough. And I think it's because we're all so fear driven that like, I, I've just made enough to live and now suddenly I'm going to bring on another expense. <laughs> what I found is that I justify hiring by just doing 100 day tests. So I'm like, let me just hire an editor for 100 days. Let's see what it does to my work schedule, my workflow, my revenue, my enjoyment. And let's just see. And then I found by hiring an editor, by using you know half my AdSense income, and I pay that to him, what I learned is that for starters, that saves me one third of my work week hours. So it's literally like two hours a day yeah. that I now have free. So that brought my, you know, my, my daily work down to a few hours a day. And also I've been in medical school for the last four years. So I'm uh, working an absolute ton. So for me, it started with this test. Let me just see what happens. Worst case scenario, I go broke, my business fails, you know, of course, catastrophic thinking as an <laughs> entrepreneur, like everything ends, you know? <laughs> and so I was like, all right, how can I not allow that to happen? A test, 100 day test. What happened was I had way more time. My revenue went up in terms of AdSense. I had more to pay them. I had more for myself too. And I had an extra two hours a day where I could be like, all right, now I'm actually the CEO that should be focusing on the vision, focusing more on that growth quadrant. What should we do instead? And it allowed me to think of more ways that I could create courses just for my YouTube audience. And that basically doubled my business in six months. So for me, it's as soon as you can afford to do that, just do it as a test and then let that be your experiment. You know, the good thing is start off always with contractors because worst case scenario, you're like, you know, I can't, I can't hack this anymore. I got to let you go. And there's no risk to you. Um, but that's how I would do it. Yeah. And you mentioned a little bit there products and I want to hear from you how you approach developing products for your audience and even going back to kind of the original products and how that's changed over time to what you do now. So for me, it took a long time because I wasn't an entrepreneur or a business owner before to learn that you should always validate your product ideas. I had no idea what this word validate meant. But basically, everyone, you know, when you see your friend and they're super excited about a business concept and they're like, dude, I have a billion dollar idea. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. I like just sign this. And you're like, you're like, God, this is like, you're my friend, but this is like loser written all over. Yeah. Like, I, God damn. Like my mom's done this. My dad, my aunt, like all of us have seen this. <laughs> and I'm never a successful, <laughs> successful people don't talk like that right. because they've been there. They know that's not how it works. Like, yes, there are really unique ideas, but even most of the really unique ideas that we know have, they either have not worked out or there have been a million, for example, YouTube previous startups that didn't work out. So there's other factors involved. So it made me realize like you launch a product once and most often it either really fails, you get no sales or like one, two sales, or it really hits it out of the park. I find that launching a product to your audience rarely goes in between. Like this, you it kind of like trickles in or you're like, whoa, like that was pretty cool. I just made money out of the ether. <laughs> and then what happens after that is if you're successful the first time, you think you have God powers until you realize that you don't. And if you don't, if it doesn't work out the first time, you're like, all right, well, I need to make sure that never happens again. And so the smart entrepreneur will figure out a process for testing a product before it's made. So for me, most of my products were online courses because I like on, I personally like buying online courses too. I know how to create them. I know what a quality course looks like. Um, and they're pretty easy to create because they're information. Right. So I can create all the information in one week. And even though it could take months to professionally package it and put it together in a nice way, uh, if I have the material, there's no barrier to me producing it right now. So for me, what I would do is I would just always email my audience with a survey asking them about a certain topic. So the topic could be, uh, let's say goal setting. What are the things they've bought regarding goal setting? What's worked? What hasn't worked? 
What would their ideal life look like if they achieve their goals? What are their fears? So it's a little bit like the fear, hope, and dream thing. And then at the bottom, I would say, are you interested in joining the beta launch for my new goal setting course? So they would say yes or no, and then give me their email. Right after that, I would email every single one of them. You know, you usually could get 60 to 100 survey responses if you have a list of 1,000 people at least. And so I would email them each. And I'd be like, hey, I'm going to be launching this course in about three weeks. If you want to create it with me and I can create it like exactly what you like, we can kind of co-create it. And also it's at a reduced rate right now. Here's a special link to buy it. So that link would be maybe 50% of the the finished price um, or even full price, but they get the the benefit that I'm literally working with them one-on-one and reaching out to them. Right. And I would have a standard metric where it's like, okay, if I don't get at least 10 sales validation here after several reminder emails, then it's not hot enough. They're not, they're not that excited about it. And so since then, I've done that for every single product and it's grown kind of in sophistication a little bit more. So when you're like people or friends or customers, what people say versus what they do is very different. It's like when you go to a bar and you chat up a girl and you're talking for a while and then you get her number and she's like, yeah, 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 we'll hang out. And then you text her and it's nothing. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like, what? We just talked for an hour. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it's like that with a lot of things in life, right? Like people say they want to get fit, but what they do is more accurate. People say they want to write a book, but are they writing? But with products, customers say they'll buy something too. But then when you have them request them to pull out their credit card and put down a down payment on it, suddenly this crickets a lot of the time. Yeah. And that's a very interesting life lesson in psychology. So the most important thing is when I say they have to have buy-in, they literally cannot say, yes, that appeals to me. They literally have to either nag you incessantly about when it's coming out or put down money with you. And that's the only thing you can accept as a green light for validation. So these days that has morphed into other products that I also validated. Since then, I validated, you know, print, Audible, and Kindle books. I have multiple books now. Since then, I validated even content platforms like moving more towards YouTube or creating the kind of content they want. I've moved towards, I'll probably be hosting my first in-person event probably in the next year. Um, I have a print journal that's most likely gonna come out in the next year or two. And so all of these things, Rather than guessing and losing six months of your life, find a way to validate the idea first. And that's what I ended up coming up with my own process for. Yeah, and I've heard of that too with validating in terms of online courses. Like you can even have an outline and then build it as, as yeah. you go, even as you have people yep. pre-sell in, into that. So that's definitely a way to do it. And even if, you know, I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs speak at USC now, and so many of them, I mean, they, they did test it. They have some way of getting some feedback and testing ideas uh, before they fully have to commit to it necessarily or help to create the product or service they're offering. Um, and that's actually what we did too with the podcast production company with uh, with Pod Puppy that we have. My, my best friend and co-founder of mine, like, we literally were like, okay, if we can get some, some sales first, then we'll commit more to this and see if it's a thing. So once we actually had money in the account, it was like, okay, people are obviously paying for this service. Let's do more with it now. And then we were going to be ramping it up soon, but um, it's a much better way to approach building a business and offering products and services to save you a lot of time with that as well. And one thing I want to ask you too is like, what have been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made in growing your business so far? I think the overall biggest mistake was not listening to my intuition more. And I know this is the kind of surprising advice, but it really is the most honest advice. Um, so obviously not validating products and ideas is a big one in terms of tactics, but in terms of overall, like your overall religion or philosophy about business is thinking that intuition is like a nice, cute little thing in other parts of life. Like when you go on a date, and you're like, eh, am I feeling it with this girl or not? But thinking that it doesn't apply to business, which is very wrong. You look at a lot of super successful business people, they all talk about intuition. And if you get stuck talking to like these tech guys that are like talking about KPIs and metrics, you miss your intuition, which often is more accurate in terms of building and growing a business. So for example, in my business, I had this intuition about like around year three, my 
email subscriber growth had plateaued. I think I was around 15,000 email subscribers and my subscribe rate was matching my unsubscribe rate. And then to the icing on the cake, Google's new algorithm came out and health and wellness sites in particular got slammed. I mean, one of the top wellness sites in the world went from like 20 million monthly uniques to like one. <laughs> Goodness. So like just destroyed that business. And it was around this time where my traffic just, it was like a, it was just like a straight 45 angle down for a year, even though I created content all year. And I reached kind of like the screw it point like this. I hate this. Like I'm, I'm like, I hate my business. <laughs> I don't want to create this goddamn content. Like I hate everything. I just want to like implode my business and start a new business. So I made a promise to myself and I was like, six months, I'm going to try a radical different, radically different approach to my company. And if it keeps decreasing, fine. I'll put it on uh, like muse mode, so to speak. I'll just keep it at maintenance mode. I'll take a low salary I can live off. And then I'll, st I'll literally start a new business. And so what I ended up doing was I found all these entrepreneurs that had said what the biggest asset was in their business was following intuition. So I started doing some of these exercises in my business. And I just kept a list of intuitive things in my business. Like, what are things I wanted to work on that maybe had no relation to the bottom line? So, like, I wanted to get my site professionally redesigned because I wanted it to just look super professional. Yeah. No purpose besides that. No functional purpose. I did that. I wanted to get my book, Master of the Day, a brand new cover redesigned that really excited me. I did that. It took a few months. I wanted to create a, a new type of YouTube content. I created that. I wanted to create uh, a certain course on uh, a journaling course. So I created that. None of these had any real commercial purpose besides creating a new course. And then I was like, you know what? I've worked every weekend, but like literally for like five years. Let, like, let me just stop that. <laughs> I'm going to stop that. No work on the weekend, no email. I'm not going to have anyone, no customer service person answer any angry emails, nothing. Stop that. I just stopped everything I hated. And then I added more of what I liked and more of what was intriguing me. And what happened was that summer, I think I was in Italy for a wedding in, uh, in Lake Como. And I was also having health problems from overwork and from stress. It was causing a lot of issues with sleep. And what I noticed was that I took this month off in, I was in Italy, my family going to a friend's wedding. And I had a record, like a record, record month in my business. I mean, it was like, like for me, it was a huge month. Like I netted more than like 10K after expenses. And I was just like, that was so much money to me. And, and I was just like, I, I wasn't even working though. I didn't even answer a single email. I had like three sponsorships came in. I got a free like $2,000 king size mattress <laughs> for like a video That's sponsorship. Awesome. <laughs> like, I I, yeah, it was awesome. And then I got a whole bunch of cash sponsorships, which are even better. And I was like, so I just worked the least and it was the most chill. And I just had my record month in my business. So maybe hard work is not really that strongly correlated with success. And I couldn't have entertained that possibility unless I decided to follow my intuition. And since then, I've noticed in my business, like, there's no, the, 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 what does a logical entrepreneur do when their traffic's tanking? They're like, we double down. Let's do 10 different tactics and try it. Or let's find another way around it. And everything I tried wasn't working. And my intuition frankly said, you know what? Maybe this business is not your forever business. Like maybe this is the business you build now and you build a small team of contractors around it. And then you go on to yeah. other things. And sure enough, when I started feeling that, um, I actually went back to do my doctorate in Chinese medicine of all things, because I had a, a Chinese medicine doctor like cure effectively my lifelong digestive problems that got worse as an entrepreneur when all the conventional doctors couldn't. And that like that really is like medicine really is my true passion. Of course, self growth is and modern health monk, but medicine's my real passion. And I never would have been able to listen to that unless I slowed down. And I realized that following this logical step-by-step -step KPI approach, it it's not the only way to run a business. 
And there are super successful entrepreneurs that feel, intuitively feel, you know what, I think we should do this now. And then that explodes. Or you know what, we need a new traffic source. And then that explodes. Or you know what, like I'm noticing we could be really creative with our social content. And then that explodes. So the thing I truly, in terms of mistakes, I truly sooner would have trusted my intuition. And it doesn't mean you implode your whole business or stop everything. Like one of those blocks, just replace one of those time blocks to something intuitively exciting because you never know where it's going to lead you. For me, that's why my business has exploded and I couldn't have predicted literally any of it. Yeah. You just never know what's going to happen when you have, when you have that time as well. And Alex, what's next for you in your business and what's going on? Well, if I'm being honest right now, um, so I'm finishing my doctorate in about nine months. Uh, I'm actually studying spontaneous cancer remissions. So there's going to be a lot of changes in the next year, which is I'm going to be moving to LA, starting a private medical practice. So for three days a week, I'll see patients. And the other days of the week, I'll still be building my brand, including the new brand related to medicine. Um, yeah, it is exciting. And honestly, that's the next thing. What I would like to do from there is I'd really like to host my first retreat. Uh, whether that's in Hawaii or maybe that's in Big Sur. I see a lot of LA entrepreneurs doing that. I really would like to do just even a three to five day retreat um, and just see how much deeper I can go with certain people that really value doing the work and really value investing in themselves. So that's probably the next thing. Um, and then of course, I've got to, I'll have a new book coming out soon on cancer. So that'll be, a, that'll be a very big launch, but those are all in the next two years. That's awesome. And where can people go to learn more about what you're doing? follow along. Yeah, the best way is you can just go to modernhealthmonk.com or you can type modern health monk into YouTube also. Um, check out my book Master the Day, which is kind of my ultimate success philosophy wrapped in a book that's that seems like it's about fitness, but it's really about um, how the tiny daily rituals allow you that kind of success in all parts of life. And that's on Amazon. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link up everything in the show notes, just go grind.com slash podcast. And definitely looking forward to connecting when you're in Los Angeles in, in a year. Definitely. Man. It's going to be exciting. Definitely. Thanks for coming on the show, Alex. Yeah, I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.